This is The Resilience, a global security and crisis management podcast, and I'm your host, Brandon Sims. Well, hey, everyone. Today we have Dilip Joseph with us. Um, he is a, a dear friend um, and has a great testimony and story that I'm excited um, for everybody to hear about. Um, it's based on it's based on him, his life in Afghanistan um, and some things he experienced. I don't want to dive too much into that because I want I want you all to hear from him directly. But uh, he has a book out. Let's see if we can put it here a little bit called Kidnapped by the Taliban. And uh, he'll tell, he'll talk more about that. He'll share his story, but uh, I'm excited for him to be here today. Dilip, thank you for uh, volunteering uh, to come start out with this podcast with me today. Um, I'm excited you're here. And so I just kick it over to you, brother. Well, thanks, Brandon. I'm really glad to be with you and, and looking forward to our time together today. Awesome. So, you 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 are a medical doctor, or you are a medical doctor uh, by trade, and but you've also done some work in a um, let, let's say a faith-based environment um, throughout your life, um, and I can look at different ways and and whatnot. Um, you and I met several or a handful of years ago um, at a prison, I, I believe a conference, and you were giving a presentation. Um, I was a little nervous to come meet you because you were the the headliner, you know, and whatnot. But uh, got your book, um, spoke with you for a few minutes, and then we just kind of kept in touch ever since then and have met and talked. And um, I've had you come present at our organization to to our personnel and to share your story. Um, you know, Dillip, one of the things that there, there's many things to love about you guys, um, but but one of the things is you're, you're humble and, and and you're real. Um, you, you tell it like you see it. Um, but you do it from from a from a godly perspective. You you really give a lot of um, credit to God and through the good days and the bad days. And so, with this, you know, kidnapped by the Taliban. One one that's an awesome title to a book. I mean, what way way to grab everybody's attention here, buddy? Um, but with, with that, what? Uh, what would you be willing to share with us or share with the public here on this podcast about your story, you know, kidnapped by the Taliban, you know, um, it's a great book. He's going to promote it. I'm promoting it right now. I love this book. Um, I've read it twice already, still have it on my bookshelf. I refuse to give it away. Um, so everybody's just going to buy their own, but, uh, it is well worth, well worth the investment. Um, but with that, what can you dive into, what it what 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 the basis was? What is the life story behind kidnapped by the Taliban? Yeah, sure, Brandon. First of all, I had forgotten that the two of us had connected uh, at a security conference where I had the privilege of speaking um, because I always thought that our connection was between the organizational network, but um, uh, certainly that was part of it, right? After the security conference, so um, as you had asked for this premise. Of, of, you know, what this is all about. I had 
uh, after my training in medicine and, and public health and my passion really being in preventive health to really help people to think about, hey, what's my responsibility? What's my role in how I promote my own individual health and possibly how that might impact the health of others that I uh, come across, the, the type of influence my responsibility for my own health might have for my community. So that's a premise with which I have sort of looked at, let's just say primary healthcare. So so primary healthcare is, is defined more or less by uh, the least amount of help that we need from an outsider to really take care of our own responsibilities for our health. So when we look at health in the way a system offers assistance. So the medical system here in the West or in the U.S. is now uh, much more dangerously moving towards um, a premise where if you come into a doctor uh, with certain symptoms, the best we can do is to um, create a scenario where we can maintain those symptoms for you without hopefully without it getting much worse. That's now, that's not a curative model. That's not a preventive model. That is a maintenance model. So in uh, that, that premise has a lot um, of challenges, you know, I mean, that it promotes. So as an individual, you have to then ask yourself, wait a second, am I letting go of my own ownership in giving responsibility to somebody else? So this comes up with, greater challenges that you can ask yourself. So knowing those those paradigms, if you will, I entered this faith-based uh, um, environment with an organization to see whether I could be of some help. Now, I, I knew that I couldn't do too much, but I knew that I could do a little bit in promoting um, a method to redefine health for rural, especially rural communities that don't have a lot of infrastructure when it comes to health. I mean, we are uh, very much privileged and blessed to be in a country where we can quickly run to a clinic or quickly call up or quickly look up uh, to promote a better health for ourselves. But in a place like Afghanistan, you know, that phone call does not exist or uh, a nearby clinic doesn't exist, especially in a rural place in the country. So the infrastructure for basic health is lacking, right? So with my public health background, with my preventive health uh, medical background, I thought, hey, maybe I could I could be of a little, little bit of a help in promoting better health to communities that are lacking that infrastructure. So even in that sort of premise, what you're hoping to do is to help people to rethink their own definition of health. So what's my individual responsibility? What's my collective community responsibility? And things that are really difficult to define is, is my spiritual belief or my spiritual faith? And, and, and that, that's, a, that's a completely uh, different topic that we can spend days, if not our lifetime, talking about, right? Right. Just my spiritual uh, definition of health, which might or might not be connected to religious systems. Uh, in a place like Afghanistan, where where things are very much defined to communities and societies are very much defined to their religious uh, upbringing, uh, 
that's a very interesting scenario to to wrap your head around, or even for people who might have forgotten to ask that question because they are they have been defined in that system for centuries, if not uh, a little more than a millennia, right? So that's essentially the premise of of not only this book, but hopefully uh, my life's work of why I entered a place like Afghanistan, so that I can invite people into a safe environment to talk about redefining or restructuring their own definition of health. Okay, great. What, um, so taking from that, um, that I, I would call it a mantra, uh, practice, um, application, real life application, taking that, how did you end up in Afghanistan? And, and, and not only how, but what was the vision? Um, you know, we hear in the news, whether it's somebody like the two of us that have experience there, um, but even to the general public, you know, we hear in the news, Afghanistan is this hostile location. Um, there's truth to that, but there's also media over-exaggeration, you know, because people are living there. Normal civilians like you and I who want a better life, who have a family, who have jobs, who are trying to raise their kids um, in, in that country. Um, what, what was your vision um, getting there and, and and hopes of accomplishing while you were there? Yeah, man, that's such a loaded question, right? Because whenever we enter, uh, let's just say a space or an opportunity, um, it's really interesting to uh, take a personal assessment of what are my expectations? What am I getting uh, getting into? And what am I expecting from this? What are the lessons I could probably learn? And through that, is it beneficial for me and and others, right? So even speaking with you, knowing a little bit of your heart, you're entering this new space of podcast with a learning posture. So my posture was, hey, listen, I have three medical degrees and and I can do some damage as in I can help people in this, right? In that posture, what I certainly did not expect is I have so much to learn through this new experience. Uh, and, and I can't even begin to maybe even put into words um, how much I have gained from uh, my limited four-year experience of going in 10 times into this country and the complexity that we now know of. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, Brandon, that as Americans, we actually only know of cultures, and this is this does not bode well for our culture as Americans. We only know of foreign cultures where we go in for some sort of conflict or try to help, right? Right. Before, let's just say before 2001 or 2000, early 2002, how many Americans would have been able to land on a map and say, this is Afghanistan? I mean, right. that's unfortunate, right? Right. I only knew about Afghanistan because... I grew up in India for the first, uh, you know, 15 years of my life. So I knew where Afghanistan was, but that's where my understanding of Afghans as a culture, Afghans as a nation, and that's even a, a misnomer. There's no Afghans as a nation. It's it's a conglomeration of so many tribes. Um, when you talk about the cultural traditions, mores that define them, oh my goodness, I mean, it doesn't get any more complex, right? It's, right. it's sort of like 
saying English are one uh, national tribe. I mean, they're not. No, no, there's nothing as, as something as such. I mean, my, my kids have a little bit of English blood in them, but I don't even know what that means. Does that mean Welsh? Does that mean Scottish? Does that mean a little bit of Irish? Uh, does that mean a little bit of German? They might have a little bit of all of that, right? So I then got to enter into a space where I quickly realized, oh my goodness, I have so much to learn about a culture that has uh, Judaism, Hinduism, animism, Buddhism, and for just for the past millennia, they have um, they have Islam. Okay, and in the past fifty years, guess what they have? They have Christian ideology entering into that complex mix. Mm. So, my goodness, what better way to learn something other than to take a learner's posture and enter and say, "Hey, I might have something little bit to offer here." But I have so much more to learn from you as a result of our lives um, intersecting with each other. So hopefully that's what I was beginning. I, I, I can certainly honestly humbly admit to the fact that I went in, especially the first time. Man, I, I can I can teach you guys a lot. But within the first couple of trips, I'm like, man, I have a lot to learn from you guys. Right. What what a what a breath, what a what a what a depth of of amazing culture. There's a reason why Afghanistan as a geographical location has become now uh, over the past 50 years or, or 100 years uh, to be known as come to know uh, to be known as the graveyard of empires. There's a reason behind that. And and um, I am just like anybody else, hopefully with that learner's posture. Uh, where I want to learn from these guys just as much as I want to uh, uh, be able to teach as a result of you know meaningful interactions. Awesome. What with that, you know, I, I love I love how you how you're 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 humble and, and raw here on, you know, my first time in. There's some things I'm going to be able to teach you guys, um, you know, and, and that's and, and, but you nailed it. I, I think. I agree with you that there, there's a lot, uh, myself included. Um, I think that's a huge American mantra from a organizational perspectives um, that we can uh, become complacent in, but also individual travelers, uh, mission trips, churches, uh, families that go internationally that that uh, we're American. We got this. Um, hope you all ready to listen and do, you know, versus a like you said, we, we need to have a learning approach um, as we go into these places, whatever the vision and perspective is we're coming with. Um, but with that, when, when you're talking about the first time going and stuff, what what type of security training did you have? What type of uh, pre-travel planning did you did, did steps did you take? Um, you know, going in and then and then expand upon that a little bit, if you don't mind. Of after that first time, you know, those, you know, you're talking about you went in 10 times in over four years, you know, how did that evolve? What did that look like to you? Good, bad, and otherwise. Yeah, man. Um, so when I went in, we just had a very, very limited organizational uh, conversations. And that's what we called at that time, our security training. We have, um, thankfully, evolved quite a bit um, from there as, as many individuals and organizations 
uh, learn from their you know depth of experience. We've also learned a lot from um, hostage situations for locals, uh, deaths for locals or killings, I should say, and um, few situations where we have been in. Uh, where some of our expats have been killed. Uh, of course, my uh, situation along with two of my Afghan colleagues being held for five days. All these experiences then then take you through uh, a, a greater depth of, of learning, right? So in the beginning, I have to say, as far as uh, security protocol was concerned, I did not necessarily go through a conventional training. But then due to my experience, I have obviously learned a lot more. Uh, even before this particular experience, I have traveled, um, you know, deep enough into various rural communities where conversations help you learn, boy, you don't say this to this community or you don't say something else. Uh, you make sure you don't bring up another tribe when you're talking to this particular community because they look down upon that other tribe. So when you go to regions, you realize that, boy, there are regional uh, niche that they create, regional uh, bonds that they have, and they stay very sort of sub-tribal, not even a larger tribe contents, uh, context, but a sub-tribal context. Um, so you pick up on all those and you learn a lot through those interactions. Um, and, and I would say, even as an organization, we've been able to grow quite a bit, knowing that there are uh, various climates that we go through as, uh, within the organizational learning curve and also within the climate that's shifting within the country. Mm. So, you know, in, in Afghanistan, we can see that in the 20 years of window that we've had as a, um, a, as a nation going in and trying to help uh, this nation of Afghans, uh, we've seen that there are security climates that we've gone through where in the beginning, say from 2002 to 2008, we could easily see that as like a glory day, you know, glory days where we didn't have to worry so much about um, what was developing. People had uh, a certain level of uh, freedom to explore, to travel. Many places where we would travel on the ground uh, quickly became places where we would not travel on the ground in, in late 2000s. And then certainly would not travel on the ground at all in early 2010s uh, uh, and and then would completely avoid by the time uh, the mid last decade arrived, right? And because the, the, the security climate was shifting that quickly and it was changing quite a lot. So yeah, I mean, all of these are uh, interesting ways that we pick up and shift our own stance on organizational security and therefore individual security. Okay, great. What, um, and, and so I'll, I'll ask a million dollar question here, uh, kind of put you on the spot a little more. Let, let's, let's make it a little more tense here for a moment. Um, through your experiences from that first trip to the end of four years, and especially through this incident, we'll dive more into here in just a moment. Um, what, looking back, you know, we can always Monday quarterback situations, incidents, anything in life, right? But yeah. let's Monday quarterback this for just a minute here. Um, looking back over your time and travels into Afghanistan, your own experience, your own knowledge, your education, everything, would you have made a different choice and taken security, I would say, more seriously or 
a different change of verbiage, would you have taken uh, more initiative to uh, to complete security training prior to going to Afghanistan, um, seeking some more information, more in depth from a security and crisis management realm? Yeah. What's your answer there? Uh, yeah, I, I mean it's more than a million dollar question. It's for in our context today, it's hundreds of millions of dollars, right? The what if scenario. Um, I, I, I will answer that question in two parts. So if I had more security training, I would have dealt with the pre-incident slightly differently. Mm. Even with security training, and I'll explain that a little bit more. Even with security training, the handling of the incident wouldn't have been any different because I think in many ways during the situation, uh, praise God and and more, more credit to me sort of being settled in my heart and my mind mm. of me not having any choice uh, of being in control of the situation helped me deal with the incident better. But let's go back to pre-incident. They're now looking back, you know, uh, uh, certainly in a retrospective assessment, looking back while we were making the trip to this rural area in the north uh, eastern part of Kabul province, there were certain things that I would pick up now that, um, one, if I had better understanding of the local language, uh, better read of the locals' concerns, I would have made some decisions that would have changed the way the scenario worked out or played out. Okay. Uh, because there were some concerns between um, our local two guys, the local guys that run our clinic and educational centers that they were picking up uh, in terms of security security situation shifting a little bit. And then some of the connections between the local police station uh, where we had to then call up and just say, hey, we're going into this uh, rural area. But then it turns out that this is where even following the protocol, mm -hmm. um, actually then leads you to trouble because later there was this uh, situation where we found out that making the phone call to the local police station there was a snitch in the police station mm. and made the local insurgents aware that hey there are there's one foreigner and two um, local Afghans who've gone into and they all fit into this uh, international NGO working guideline or, or workers guideline and uh, go for it, you know, go get them. Right. So it is, it could be said, it could be argued that it is actually following the specific protocol that we had as an organization that then led us to uh, this issue. But that's neither here nor there because that's where, um, you know, at the end of the day, we have to have set measures. Uh, which then becomes quantifiable that we need to assess, measure, all this stuff, right? But then on the other hand, if we actually had deeper understanding of how the system is shifting on a day-to-day -day basis, um, which is really hard to assess uh, because no one really knows what's shifting, how um, individual, um, what do you call, uh, there's a word, um, maybe a uh, um, not alignment, but yeah, maybe maybe a local uh, alignment due to 
uh, maybe not feeling good about one leader or other. They are always shifting their own, um, yeah, I can't get the word right now, but um, uh, their own alignment with certain insurgents. So uh, right. later on, we found out that in our case, there was a guy who was very much connected to the local police station who happens to also be the mullah for the entire Taliban insurgency in that um, specific uh, district where we ended up after the nine hour hike on the first night, uh, first day. So all these complexities add to that um, difficulty in being able to even retrospectively assess what could we have done better, well, what would have changed if we knew, you know, this, this or this. Um, yeah, so that makes it difficult. But I, I think I think I would still uh, state that maybe maybe my pre-incident uh, assessment would have shift, shifted a little bit, but not so much my uh, during the incident or post-incident assessment for sure. Awesome, thanks. You know, you know, you hit you you hit a point through that. Um, actually, several points, but but one of them there was talking about um, how, yes, some security preparation ahead of time would have helped in the pre-stages, but during the incident, you, you don't think so. Um, and, and, and I, and I, I want to highlight on that um, because there, there, there's a concept of, hey, you have training or you have at least some training, whatnot, this is going to help you get through. Um, and, I, and I think, and, and I agree with that, um, but from a mental mental standpoint, maybe not from a physical standpoint, because what you said was, I didn't have control in the middle of the situation. I was not in control. They were in control, and uh, and I, I want people to hear that and and try to kind of start unpackaging that themselves, um, because I agree with you there. Um, we can go through as much training and, my gosh, have a blank check and get all this great stuff. But a lot of times in incidents, even minor incidents, um, all the way up to severe, highly dangerous incidents like what you went through, um, we are not in control. But having prior training can help with us mentally of, hey, this is where I shut up. This is where I do what they say to do. I don't, you know, buck the system or, um, you know, there's tons of what ifs and scenarios to that. But the concept I, I really appreciate you saying that um, because every piece of training will not handle every single situation and will not always turn out um, the way we want it to turn out right um, so so I appreciate you saying that Dilla, um, and, and sharing that and when you're talking about the the pre-trip um, the preparations prior understanding uh, more of the culture as I would say more of the culture what does it look like on the ground? Um, one of the things I, I try to express with understanding the culture is what does it look like? What does it sound like? What's the audible to it? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? Really using all of our senses to understand the culture. It's not about pulling up Wikipedia or any main uh, internet capability to be like, oh, this is what it says in Kabul, Afghanistan, you know. It's understanding on the ground. And I, and I think you hit it there of, um, from the start of getting a better analysis of what's going on. Um, and, 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 it, and it's interesting how you said that the shift of what, what I would say loyalties, um, how that changes there. And 
And I find that intriguing how, how you shared it because I come from a different side of, man, um, what I do on a daily basis, I've got a lot of information um, that I share through briefs and whatnot that sometimes are in real time, but sometimes 24 hours delayed that will help give that strategic. It comes from a tactical level, but it can easily build up and pull in the other assets, um, resources for strategic analysis. And, and so I find it interesting how you said, um, um, you, you, you were sharing, you know, having better analysis, understanding that, but nobody knows. And, and while I agree with you on that, um, I have a slight, you know, kind of tilt my head to it. Um, and, and I'm just curious of where you're coming from, from the tactical side of those loyalties and how things shift. And then also my perspective of, yes, we don't know it all. Now, I will clarify there. We don't know it all. Um, yeah. But we do have we do have a reach into sources that, that, that other people don't. And this is what we do for a living, just like what you do for a living. You you have sources that I can't tap into type of thing. So not saying there's a right or wrong here, but um, just kind of if if there was a capability to have shared more of the analysis that that we have, let's say, and I provided that ahead of time. Would you see that as beneficial or would you see that more of maybe educational, institutional knowledge that would kind of lead you into thinking from a different perspective on your travel? Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you're asking a very uh, deep question in the area of education. Like what kind of information would be best uh, for a given situation for that person who's in that situation to then respond better, right? And so um, we can look at it, look at all of this in so many ways, but the, but the very uh, basic way of looking at this, you know, when you, when you take a classroom setting, mm -hmm. why is it that 50 students in the same classroom hearing the same amount, the same information, data point, right? take all of that in and in some cases uh, some kids might be daydreaming so we're not able to take any of it in right <laughs> so let's just say the best case scenario where all 50 are taking the same uh data point same information but the way they now make that a knowledge base uh has to do with their own way of interpreting that data right, right. and then now, where they might categorize uh, any of that set of information is going to be categorized in the way they have set up their own uh, system within themselves, within their mind, within their uh, emotive capabilities to now categorize in such a way so that at the end of the, the lesson, or say, let's just take two months down the line before they now have to put this uh, set of data, data, data points into practice. Now the rubber is meeting the road, right? Now we're talking about a deeper thing. How have they utilized some of the non-measurables, the things that we find it very difficult to measure? Uh, let's call it wisdom, right? Now we've taken information into knowledge. Now we're taking deeper into wisdom. 
how would certain people, uh, the same set of 50 kids that we've taught, like in your case, 50 security students that you've taught, now they are having to put that into practice. So now we start talking about, man, in a given scenario that is very, very difficult, now you get to see some of these students are staying calm because they're able to assess how does the information that I've learned has been put into certain categories and the knowledge, how I now perceive the information to put it into practice. Now we're actually utilizing foundational virtues like peace and hope and, and joy in certain circumstances, irrespective of the conditions. So you're asking a very, very deep question, right? So now when we bring back that practical question that you asked, what if we have a certain amount of data set on specific people that have specific loyalties? And that's a very good question. What if when we went in between the time we've been taught and the time we are putting this lesson into practice, what if some of those people that we have intelligence on have shifted loyalties? We have no clue what we thought this guy, oh, this guy comes from a sub-tribe of this Pashtun major tribe, but now he's actually in alliance. That's a word I was thinking about before. Mm -hmm. Alliance with somebody else that we did not expect because actually this new guy comes from a different sub-tribe that this, this other guy uh, that we have a lot of intelligence on and that we're basing a lot of our uh, information on have actually shifted without us knowing. Right? right, And that's where our reading in a very calm, uh, hopefully mental and spiritual sense need to pick up. Wait a second. So I picked this up, Brandon, only on the fourth day when I realized that the 16 people that I was surrounded by actually had mini or sub alliances to different groups. So they came from Haqqani, they came from Al-Qaeda, they came from uh, Taliban, and they came from independent Mujahideen groups that did not have alliance with any of them, any of the three major ones that I was exposed to. Now, all of these guys can shift back and forth depending on what how they felt about the, the main guy who was the number two guy of that given district in that entire province which then could be seen as the entire region for the Taliban network, right? But the moment that alliance shifts, now they could say, oh, I don't want to listen to you anymore. In fact, there was a a very, very difficult um, verbal altercation that just broke out um, Mm -hmm. in uh, past uh, midday point on the fourth day when things were supposed to come together and they were supposed to actually align in terms of a solution that they were uh, put uh, uh, were told uh, to come up with, right? And so they were given a little bit of pressure and tension. Okay, now the ball is on your court. You guys better tell us um, something so that we can take the next step. Um, so it's very, very interesting stuff that you're asking and the way it gets played out is really not a constant as we would like to think it is. It, it depends on so many variables that could also shift in the middle of the game. Man, I I, I could talk to you all day long, Dill. <laughs> Man, you, you just ex- explain it well and, and, and give such a great perspective on and, and understanding on on these things. But uh, um, for the sake of time, 
let, let's transition into the actual, I'll, I'll call it incident. And, and I mean that with all respect. Um, you know me, uh, there's no disrespect in that. Um, but I, I really want to, uh, I don't want to take away from your meat, your story to this. So um, I, I know we don't have a lot of time, but I, I want to, let's, let's go ahead and transition into this incident. Um, and so I just want to really just open up to you to, for you to share what you're comfortable sharing, what you're comfortable talking about. Um, and, and want to respect that, um, what those lanes are. Um, so why don't you just kind of kick it off on kind of what, how that, that day started, what that day was and, sure. and just go with it as, as, as long as you want. Um, yeah. So Brandon, as you can imagine, uh, the start of the day, um, and the, and the expectations that came with it is certainly not how the day ended. Right. So after having the, the time with our local staff, and our um, usual normal routine of going to a local tribal elder's house and having lunch and then getting out uh, again through the community center and saying bye to our staff and then, um, you know, kind of going off uh, with just two of my Afghan colleagues back to uh, the main highway that would then take us back to Kabul, right? And in the midst of uh, the beginning stages of us getting back, uh, heading out of the community center and going uh, down the hill uh, to then uh, eventually uh, meet up with the highway way before we could even get out of the second community or I would say the second village, we were then picked up by these uh, insurgents, uh, which then obviously completely changed the scenario of how the, the day was supposed to end up. So needless, needless to say, um, it was very tense uh, uh, first few moments where you're expecting the very best. Um, what could com come out of this intense altercation that is now uh, you are put in the middle of and you don't understand uh, the conversations that are going on in Pashto. Uh, a, a, a different uh, tongue to the uh, the national language which is, which is Dari which is very similar to the Farsi language um, of the regional language, right? So, yeah, everything changes. Your world is changing. Your your life is more or less going to end, um, as you know it. Um, because I was actually blindfolded, and uh, I was later um, uh, later told or uh, come to understand that uh, they ran out of the pieces of cloth that they could tear up uh, to both blindfold us and also. Um, uh, tie our hands behind our backs. So uh, all three of us had our hands tied, but only I had a blindfold uh, because they ran out of cloth. Um, luckily, I had just a little bit of, uh, in my upper right quadrant of my right eye, I had a little bit of slit just showing what might be happening, but I had to really tilt my head in order to appreciate what was going on. And, and I, I only did that a few times, but just the intensity of the moment and how heavy my heart was beating and how fast it was um, beating. Luckily for us, all of that sort of died down in the first 10, 12 minutes where we were put back into our um, into our, our own vehicle, taken to a very remote area, uh, a good 30, 40 minute travel. At that time, being put back into the vehicle, my blindfold was taken off, but all three of us had our hands still tied behind our backs which made it difficult to get out of 
not only get out of the vehicle, but to climb up on the very first um, um, hiking that went up uh, this first mountain that we climbed. Um, so there started uh, our time uh, with a proper uh, larger group. Uh, but then after the very first uh, sit down and some conversations as a group and, and subgroups, uh, we were then divided off, uh, luckily with my two colleagues and I with three of these guys. Um, so three guys with guns and three of us hiking for the rest of the day. And, and as I look back at this whole uh, incident, um, and, and there's no better way of really categorizing what happened, because, you know, at the end of the day, historically speaking, it's one incident out of literally thousands of these hostage situations that both Afghans and, and uh, expats go through. Um, and my, my story is just one blip in that entire, you know, set of incidences, right? Right. Um, so I would say looking at that hiking time, and the not, uh, I wish I would have known uh, that this is going to be a 10-hour hike, right? Um, but it really sort of helped me to settle in my mind, first of all, what is happening? How am I going to settle in on how I should handle this? And, and probably the deeper question why is this happening to me and what's the purpose behind this? And that's a better better question to ask uh, ourselves while we go through a very difficult time. If there, you know, uh, we come to the understanding of there is a God. So if there's a God, what is his purpose behind this small incident that is happening at this time with this type of people, with this group of people in this culture, for this time in history? Does it have any relevance mm. to the global bigger picture that God already has a better idea of that I don't have a good idea about? So those were really, really interesting moments in the uh, in the bigger things that was happening on day one for me. Okay. Was there a, a couple questions here? Um, when, when did you... Uh, begin to think or or maybe even confirm from your perspective um where you were and what was going on that that this wasn't your normal criminal gang that this was when did you identify that this would be a terrorist organization or members of a terrorist organization and then moving on to taliban when uh where, where what was that process like uh from the time um y'all were stopped um yeah from the vehicle to now you're on a 10 mile hike um yeah. you have no control so day one had very little information along those lines that were coming to us day two early bits of day two there's a lot of conversation going on because towards the end of day one entering day two maybe um, past midnight we entered this uh, abandoned back where we sat for the rest of the night uh to uh, just kind of uh, you know, invite in the, in the day two, you know, after, only after the dawn of the day, did we start walking or hiking again for the next couple more hours before we settled in on a little bit more established shack on okay. day two and spend most of that day two. So day two would have been the, the biggest uh, time of 
lot of meaningful interactions. And through those interactions, I began to pick up, oh, wait a second, we have a guy who actually goes by the name Hakani. And I knew enough to know that that's a major network with its own uh, people, training, madrasas, and, uh, you know, um, infrastructure to be distinctly different from, say, the Taliban or Al-Qaeda or now ISIS that is very, very prominent in um, in Afghanistan. So it's only later on that I realized, man, there must, must be like over 50 of these even yeah. smaller networks that play their role in various alliances and um, uh, groups that make up maybe other subgroups, right? Or, or uh, categories of groups uh, that then work together. So by day two, I realized, man, there's, some, as I said before, there are some folks that consider themselves just Mujahideen and want to stay independent, but they're brought in to, there was, there was one, one guy who towards the end of day two was beginning to actually uh, literally have verbal altercations with the other guys who were part of Mujahideen, uh, Haqqani, uh, Taliban, or consider themselves Taliban. And this this one independent guy is, who said, listen, I didn't want to be part of this, and you lied to me. Mm. You said that there was somebody who owed you money, and you're bringing me in uh, and, and promising me a little bit uh, a piece of that pie, but I don't want to be part of killing an innocent man. And so there were interesting uh, scenarios that was developing, even among those guys who were in this, who ended up being um, a somewhat of a, of a um, uh, you know, loose uh, part of various networks that were, that were brought in to kind of be part of this one incident, if you will. Okay. What, when, uh, you, you kind of touched on it uh, quickly there a minute ago from day one of what what is God's really trying to evaluate what what is God's uh, plan here um, you know and, and 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 like we would all say we don't know the, our plan um, we yeah. think we're, we're on track with what God is wanting us to do and whatnot but but bigger than that in and in, in what you were going through on day one um, yeah. how did that help you? How did that help you in, in, in a moment of um, of moment may, maybe moments of despair, but also yeah. moments of peace? Um, can you explain a little bit more of that and and how God kind of walked you through that or what you learned during that? Yeah, I, I'm so glad uh, you asked that because of our lack of time. I was going to just kind of pass by that, but I would say uh, the what you pick up as a result of your own conversations with God ends up defining the very foundation of how you handle things, right? For me, that was so true of day one. I started with literal shouting out to God from the depths of my heart without making it, you know, um, vocal, um, vocally audible uh, to outsiders and the six-man group that we were hiking. I literally started fighting with God. Where did you go wrong? This is not the deal we had, you and I had. Um, I could have seen myself for the rest of my life investing into uh, this nation, these people groups, um, if you hadn't done this, if you hadn't made a mistake. Literally, I must have spent like uh, at least an hour 
And, and that's probably shortening it more than an hour, just telling God that he made a mistake. And then settled on this idea. Oh, and, and one of the reasons why I was really struggling with this, Brandon, and, and man, I mean, even to this day, I have, have difficulty just verbalizing this because one of my biggest struggles was I had an eight-month-old that I cursed God about. I said, that is not fair that this little boy will grow up not knowing his father. That is so not fair. You are not a just God if you are allowing this to happen. And this is what I landed on, Brandon. I landed on the fact that I, I, this idea that God was telling me, wow, you love your little boy that much, huh? How much do you think I love you as my son? Wow. Then I landed on this idea of, wow, God, if, I mean, I, I get it. You love me a lot, but why are you doing this? And then transferring that idea to, wait, I am walking with other creatures, other children of God who are made in your image. What might your purpose for them be? And then coming to a very settling idea that if you love these guys that much as you love me, and this opportunity is going to be a book, you know, given that culture, it's all oral processing, right? There's nothing written, very few things written. None of these guys are likely to be literate, and which I found out later on. Right. You are actually orchestrating an event where I am the book, they're reading me as a book. What yeah. book are they reading? And what are they going to summarize from this, this experience in this chapter of their lives? If you are allowing for this, this chapter to be written, I want them to understand a piece of God that they've never read before, that they will, they're very unlikely to read again, so I want to reflect your heart. I want to reflect I, through this experience. I want them to meet a God that they've never met before. Wow. So let's go. I mean, that's what I settled into. And I'm telling you, Brandon, that, that virtue, that premise that then led as the very foundation of how I connected with them, what kind of words I would choose to say, uh, the, the openness through which I presented uh, even in the second book, a uh, second, uh, second day, then led to the type of camaraderie where they were saying, why, wait a second, he is a better Muslim than we are, Muslim being someone who's submitted to God. Why does he have the peace that we don't have? And mm -hmm. he's the guy we're going to kill. So I would say settling into certain foundational virtues and principles that is so connected to our belief belief system then allows us to promote a God and his character that is far better than all the sermons that we can preach, right? All the protocols that we can write mm -hmm. because they get to read something in you that the only the Holy Spirit, and I truly believe in that, irrespective of our religions, irrespective of our customs, cultures, Holy Spirit allows us to enable to read certain things in specific situations and right. they were reading something that they were so invited to and it was not my doing I mean, believe me i'm not i'm not all that 
calm and <laughs> collected and so well uh, put together, right? I mean, yeah. in, uh, in circumstances, we all break into something we're not, something uh, beyond that, that Holy Spirit molded character that we all try to emulate. But as I settled in on some of these foundational virtues, I said, man, wow, this is amazing. I am being invited into a, a holy space where God is going to do something amazing. I want to be part of that. That, Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, ha having spoken with you privately and, you know, um, been together face to face, you know, there's there's an element that, that you share in, in that bond and and hearing that I, I wasn't expecting um, for, for you to go to go there. Um, I, I thank you for doing that. Um, but uh, my goodness, um, that, that's raw right there, Dylan. And that that's straight to the core of your heart. Um, and your family and, and where you where you were with God during that. So uh, thank you for sharing that, Dilla. Um Let's let's jump to day four just for time's sake. Um, and we'll leave some nuggets here because we want people to get your book. We want them to hear more of you from reading the, your book um, and the story, but 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 your life and, and how you incorporate God in that. Um, it's not just about the whiz bang headlines. It's about the meat of your story. Um, but let, let, let's jump to day four. You know, you've, you've gone through three days. You've been hiking. You're now in a more um, established shack, shelter type of environment. Um, the transition of the group, as you just talked about, are looking more at you. There's some questionings happening. God's working on your heart. Um, you're questioning God. Um, and there's growth in, in you that's happening even in the middle of this situation. Um, so, so what does day four look like and how does it end? Um, I know there's a lot of details in there, a lot of details, I know, but just what would you like to share uh, yeah. day four and how to resolve? So I'm glad you jumped to day four because day one, two, and three, uh, looking back, felt like they, there was a little bit of structure to it. Day four, with all the negotiations and all the uh intelligence that these guys were picking up and all the intelligence that was happening uh intelligence gathering and and so much of this as you you would be uh able to guess because of your background um i'm only picking up post event right post incident i have no idea what is happening on this side in terms of gathering information putting together certain systems that would then allow for so it just so turned out that without my knowledge, beginning of day four is when the American DOD already made a decision that they were going to send the Navy SEALs. So for the Navy SEALs to be uh, allowed to leave their base and go on a, actually uh, the, the beginning stages, like the midnight stages of day four is when they started their mission. So it was a 24 hour mission for them to even get to the spot where they can begin my rescue mission. So their mission was right. a lot longer than what I understood, obviously, at that, at that spot. But for me and my perspective, day four started very unsettled. Um, there was so much uh, abrupt movements happening. 
for the very first time, um, my driver, Afghan uh, colleague who, who was our driver, uh, got separated um, from me and my Afghan medical colleague. Uh, the two of us were together with two of the main two guys, the, the, the commander of the Taliban and his right-hand man, who was unfortunately uh, nicknamed the Butcher. Because he carried the knife, very, very shiny, very, very sharp knife, which he unfortunately showed me a couple of times. Uh, man, there, there were two guys that I hated to even look at just because of their presence and because of their, um, the, the spirit that they, they uh, you know, uh, that they, by which they just kind of had their being. I don't know how else to kind of state that. It was very difficult to look at them, just, just what they, um, uh, you know, yeah, uh, the different things that they said and the different way they went about their being. Um, any, anyway, so uh, day four started with that sort of um, private negotiation that went very public. And then luckily we were all uh, back together on top of a mountain. Luckily for me, for the very first time since it was on top of a mountain, I could see the surrounding, which helped me realize that very, uh, very spot geographical spot where I was being held. Till then, I had no idea how far we had walked from the outskirts bordering town of or bordering village uh, within Kabul province to actually enter Lagman province, which actually had been uh, had been governed by Taliban in two of the districts. And I can't remember how many districts are in this um, small province that had been uh, governed by Taliban anyway. So um, being able to kind of, in my mind, conjure up, oh, this is exact spot where I'm being held was really nice because I could see the borders, right. uh, the, the Kabul River, the uh, the Kabul Jalalabad Highway and all these things. And then that kind of gave me a framework to think about where I was at. But it was very heated negotiations that went on from midday to like uh, late afternoon that then led to the division among us the separation between me and my two colleagues, very, very low point in my four days. Mm. Um, and then me being left left with five of these guys, three of whom were uh, part of my original four captors. But two new guys who had joined in on the third day, uh, one of whom uh, had never shown himself, uh, had always always had his uh, head covered. And, and it's only uh, sort of a... a uh, guess that he might have been doing that because after my uh, two Afghan colleagues left, he actually took a moment to uh, reveal himself. And the way he did that was very touching. He took out the scarf that that kind of um, uh, kind of shielded his face and actually came uh, that low moment in, in my um, you know entire five day incident was me sitting on this rock and just really wondering what's going to happen next because now i did not have my uh lifeline my uh translator my colleague who was translating everything for me right. and i'm left with these five guys i have no idea how i'm gonna communicate with these guys and three of the five guys who were sitting there came up and consoled me brandon and this one guy took his scarf out and wiped my tears um right. those are those are very telling moments you know like how do humans interact with each other with that language, 
right? Mm-hmm. Is there a heart connection that we can have that goes beyond culture and language and and our religious, um, you know, parameters? And so uh, fourth day ended with me being in a much more structured village elder's house where we were fed really well. That fourth day was the only day we weren't eating throughout uh, during the day or having tea, um, as it is very common in that culture. And then it ended up with, um, you know, pre-tea, uh, dinner and post-tea. And then we all kind of uh, laid down a little early, uh, which then ended up with the, the highlight of the whole uh, time um, with the American Navy SEALs coming for my rescue, where for the first time in five days, other than me speaking English, now I'm all of a sudden listening to English, which literally took me like a few seconds to actually, you know, put into perspective wait a second, this is a rescue effort and they're asking, calling out my name. Wow. That, um, you know, I, I love how, I love, I, I've said that a lot here, but um, how, you, how you shared about crossing boundaries without a language, you know, and what does humanity look like? Um, and I, I, that's something we need to unpackage, you know, for ourselves. So we won't do it here. But um, to unpackage for ourselves of, of what you said of how he this is a terrorist. He's part of a group that has kidnapped you. You've been threatened with your life. You don't know if you're going to live at this point. Um, but yet humanity of consoling you, being there with you. But yet what you said of, of wiping a tear from your eye. Um, there, there is so much to unpackage with that. And and. But, but I would venture to say, thank, one, thank you for sharing that piece, um, but how God works. Yeah. We like to say, but God. And I mm-hmm. think that right there is another element of your story of, but God, um, for us to understand. And, and so with that, um, there's so much more we could talk about, Dylan. So many, a thousand questions I would love to ask you, um, even as a friend. Um, but we're, we're, we're not going to do that for time's sake and, and to respect your time as well. Um, with that, w- what would you like to kind of wrap up here? What would be your wrap up um, to kind of close in on this from, from a godly perspective, your book? Um, tell us where you can get your book. But also, what, what do you want me, um, our listeners, to, to hear and to grasp from all of this, from your story, Dylan? You know, I, I'm I'm really glad, Brandon, that you've used the word uh, humility and and humble um, a few times. I wish it was not in in direct connection to me as a person, um, but you know, these are things. I mean, when we think about, um, as I like to always uh, refer to them as these non-measurable entities and virtues and values that we truly want to desire and we want to emulate to reflect God's character more than anything else in and through our lives. I feel like even this experience has been a very humbling experience for me um, because I feel like I came out of it. Now, as you said, I did not expect to come out of it, number one. Number two, when I came out of it, I had to ask myself, wow, what does God, what might God have as a result of me having experiences? Um, Certainly it's not, to live in fear or change my perspective on the constant that we call God. But I have in my life to learn so much more. How would I use the story? How would I 
um, uh, even share the story in such a way that I can invite people to this greatness that we call God, the greatness of His love that is so beyond measure, beyond certain parameters, whether it's cultural, religious, uh, various um, uh, parameters that we tend to walk around with or um, emote with or emulate our lives through. So I would say one of the pictures that I have, very clear picture I have about myself is, man, I want these blinders to be uh, to be lifted off of my own perspective so that I can see God and his people uh, that differ from the way I live, the way I think, the way I have my being, so that I can love them the way God might want me to, right? Well, I mean, it's, it's a desire that invites in, us into a space of transformation. Uh, it's not like we're going to change overnight, but right. at least desiring that would actually get us to a space where we say, wow, I can begin a process here. And God might have for the rest of my life, however long that is, to help me see the areas where I need to continue to mold, continue to change, even if it means uh, difficulty, even if it means pain, even if it means suffering. Um, that molding part is not something that we that we uh, intentionally get into, but through through various um, uh, instances or incidents, uh, we might get into places where we get to learn, right? So I would say that has been a great challenge for me. How do I, number one, do that? And then how do I intentionally invite people into that sort of space where God is willing to mold them, but that might mean a difficult scenario, difficult situation, difficult experience. Uh, but through that, then we, I mean, it does, it's not always that we have to enter a trial in order to learn something. But for most of us, that is still true. Right. Because when we are in the area of comfort, man, we don't always pick up these gems that we need to right. pick up, right? It's a it's a different scenario that invites us into that space. So that's that's one thing I would love to just share to wrap this up. We can certainly spend a lot of time, as you say, looking at the scenario of security protocol and, and specific things, but then asking ourselves, man, what have I learned through a scenario that is now changing my paradigm, changing my lens through which I now appreciate God? appreciate his people. And as a result of that, uh, maybe uh, I get to love God more. I get to also invite others uh, to love God more. Right. Well, thank you, Dilip. Um, you're, you're, you're a man of profound words. You're humble. You, you may not like hearing that or it may make you feel uncomfortable, but, but, but you're a humble man, intelligent man, a good friend, and uh, definitely a follower of Jesus. And, um, I think very highly of you. And so thank you for today. Thank you for sharing, um, really opening up your heart, being vulnerable, um, but just sharing from your perspective where you've been in life and where you are and where you're going. Um, such a great story. And so um, to all the listeners, um, Dilip Joseph here, dear friend, um, you can get his book at, just basically look online, but it's called it, the title is Kidnapped by the Taliban, a story of terror, hope, and rescue by SEAL Team 6. This is a fascinating read. I wish we had hours to dive more into it, Dilip. Um, I just love when you talk and you share. I just love to listen. Um, but I'm going to encourage everybody to go out and get your book. I want them to get your book. I want them to hear your story, 
not just from this podcast, but to read it in print and to dive into the details and just unpackage your story, your experience and see uh, and seek God with that and, and see where God wants them to go um, to learn, to grow and everything. So Dillip, thank you, brother. Um, I really appreciate this time and I hope it has been encouraging for you as I know it is for me. So thank you again, well, Dillip. Thank you, Brandon. I, I wish you the very best in this new venture and, and I know it will be a blessing to many people. So keep moving forward and my prayers and my thoughts are with you and looking forward to the next time we get to be face-to-face and catch up again. Awesome. Thanks, Dilla. Thank you for listening to The Resilience. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, become a ministry partner, become a sponsor, or if you have questions or topics you'd like us to discuss, please visit our website at www.ewgsx.com.